I, I think that it's a matter of great urgency that to replace the word merit with some other word, than name, namely skill, because uh, accumulating merit is like getting tickets to heaven. You know, it's 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 in English. It just doesn't uh, fly. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't fit with it. You know, but skill does. Yes, yeah, skill does. Maybe maybe that's uh, just a translation. I think uh, uh, going to heaven. Uh, the skill is very important to go to heaven. <laughs> and Buddha said that there are three things we have to do to go to heaven. Three things. Doesn't matter what religion one follows. Any religion you can follow and anybody can practice these three things. And anybody who practices these three things can go to heaven. Guaranteed. <laughs> that is Satchang bhane, speak the truth. Nakujjaya, don't get angry. Dajja pasmimbi yachito, give whatever you can. Give whatever you can, speak the truth, don't get angry. By practicing these three things, anybody can go to heaven. Etehi tehitanehi gacche devana santike, Buddha said. By these three things, one can go to heaven. Um, I have a question about um, beyond right thought. It occurs to me that, um, as you're talking about dana, that it has to, um, or does it have to do with the um, recognition that there is no such thing as ownership? That is to say that, you know, we think of my money or my time or my whatever, my, and that dana is a form of recognizing that there is no my. You know that it's it's everything. It's sort of like what I have belongs to um, everything. Um, so that, in a way, you know, giving is a recognition of the oneness of of all things. Um, you know, it, it was it it was interesting. It, the other day, I had these stack of bills, like the light bill and um, the telephone bill. And I realized that I, I pay this in exchange for electricity mm-hmm. and for the phone and the like. And, but it seems to me that there's also sort of an invisible bill that one should get, or it's sort of a recognition of that. And that is to say that I thought, well, you know, that the planet provides me with um, life, and with the, the sun and the... the weather and the animals, it's not as if they're just sort of out there not giving, that they're all giving. Um, all of this is giving, and that I'm partaking of it, and that um, I have, in a sense, a responsibility to recognize that. That Do you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. And it's sort of an invisible thing. It, it just was an odd thing that occurred to me, and that, um, and that so I've sort of begun to think that donating what I can financially um, to different causes that really try to preserve the, the world is a responsibility because I'm taking from it. Sure. Actually what you said is uh, uh, not beyond the right thought. It is within the framework of right thought, within the same, uh, uh, what you call, uh, spectrum of right thought. Because uh, uh, giving, uh, as you put it correctly, 
uh, things away uh, without um, uh, involvement of self, mm-hmm. uh, myself. Uh, you have to, one has to have the the understanding of uh, selflessness to make the giving perfect. And therefore, what you said is perfectly uh, right, and it fits quite well with the right thought. Very true. Also reminds me a bit of teaching because once uh, the earth doesn't have it to give anymore, we're going to start realizing we've taken too much without giving back. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Excuse me. Use the word immortality. While ago, you're talking about uh, dhamma dana, yes. and the one receives the, the gift of immortality, and I didn't understand that. I see. Amatang dado chesu hoti yo vedet yo dhamma manusasati. There, amata is nibbana. When you uh, give dhamma, you give a person a uh, a, a means to attain Nibbāna. That means Dhamma is the means, the way, the, as we mentioned yesterday, Openaiko. Openaiko means leading onwards. When you give Dhamma, the person uses this Dhamma as a vehicle to ride on to Nibbāna and then becomes immortal. So Dhamma-dhāna is uh, giving of uh, immortality. question. I thought dana is a very interesting subject. People can ask a lot of questions about dana. Would you say that um, directly that you could say that dana is the manifestation of non-greed? I mean it has to come from that, but can you equate it quite closely with non-greed? Definitely. Yes. Dāna is actually uh, um, renunciation, thought mm. of renunciation is mm. non-greed, another word. It's, it's actually synonymous with non-greed. So it's sort of like the, the active side of a negative thing. Right, yeah. right. Mm. Very true. I just had a question about... Um, um, when you talked yesterday, you talked about the Dhamma, and I just wondered, in a little way, if um, right behavior—that is to say, right action—or as, as a reflection of the Dhamma—is that a kind of giving when one behaves properly? Sure. We—I was going to talk about it uh, this afternoon when I talk about uh, right, uh, what you call uh, sila, morality. Um, Perhaps um, uh, if you don't any uh, further questions, we can start that and continue this afternoon. Uh, Sila. 
all right? You think you have you finished with Dana? <laughs> so just to sum Dana up, if you were, uh, it would go in with right thought in the in the uh, right, right uh, thought. That's where it belongs in this right. wheel. You were going to speak of the other circle, the, the uh, samsara. Samsara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know, uh, dana, in fact, is the direct uh, opposite of samsara. Samsara is samsara cycle. Yeah. Uh, is the repetition of birth and death, mm -hmm. and uh, this repetition of birth and death occurs purely because of greed. And when we give dana, that attacks directly greed. The link is broken between samsara in samsara. That means rebirth occurs purely when there is greed, clinging, craving, attachment, attachment to things, to life, attachment to life keeps us keeps us alive. If we don't want to live, we don't we don't live. We have a desire, will to live, and that desire, that will to live, is called clinging, craving, grasping, tanha. Um, and uh, I believe I understand that, but I, it seems to me that that expression is liable to be misunderstood, misunderstood in this culture because we have the idea, you know, people are not wanting to live is like associated with the idea of, of suicide and it's not that, so not wanting to live in this culture is more associated as I see it with aversion huh. whereas you know not wanting, that again in this strict sense is still craving do, do you see what I mean? Yes. It, I think it's very open to misunderstanding in, in the expression there. Yes, in fact uh, yeah you are right if you say uh, non-desire in that uh, uh, triple uh, psychic irritants, greed, hatred and delusion, the opposite of uh, greed is uh, hatred. That means, uh, greed means uh, clinging, uh, holding, uh, hatred is rejecting. So one can say, if you don't have greed, you will reject. If you don't yeah. have desire, you will reject. So if you don't have desire for life, you will reject life. That means you may, as you said, uh, wish to commit suicide. It is not that when we say uh, no desire, I mean desireless living. For instance, uh, when somebody attains enlightenment, the person continues to live, although the person doesn't have particular desire, particular clinging, craving for life, the person lives uh, as long as life, life uh, expectancy continues. Uh, uh, therefore it is uh, very wholesome living uh, without clinging. Uh, a clinging to life, as you said in this culture means you don't let go of uh, when you're about to die, you don't, uh, don't want to die you hold on to it. Uh, 
that definitely is a clinging. Uh, that clinging uh, uh, is there even before the moment of death, all the time. Even the clinging to like judgments, like so. So that the not wanting to live in this culture might mean that one's being very judgmental about oneself or the world, etc. So you've got this sort of not wanting to live. But I mean that's still clinging because it's clinging to um, judgments um, and aversion. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I don't think that's necessarily so obvious in in the terminology we use because of the way we're accustomed to using it. Right, right. Uh, we believe, generally, people, when uh, this life is uh, full of all kinds of desires, and uh, we try to fulfill those desires, and maybe one small fraction of these desires we might be able to fulfill, and the rest remains unfulfilled. And uh, at the uh, moment of death, we want to live more uh, in, the, in the future to fulfill, fulfill those desires. But in every new life we have more desires and then uh, we die unfulfilled those desires. And so every life we accumulate more desires and satisfy very few of them and go on accumulating more desires. And that keeps on and on and on as bound to this uh, vicious circle of repetition of birth and death. And dhāna is the, the direct uh, antidote to cut that off. So we start in a small scale and uh, expand it and let it uh, uh, pervade our entire life until uh, that desire, that desire, that clinging is eradicated. When that desire is eradicated, uh, clinging is wiped out, uh, we attain a stage that we call enlightenment, and then we cut off this repetition of cycle of birth and death. And that is what we call attaining Nibbana, the third uh, of the normal eightfold what you call Four Noble Truth, Third Truth. So that is the relationship between samsara and uh, this uh, mm -hmm. right thought. One, I'm sorry, one had thought about giving to your enemies, and it didn't appear on the... Uh, one would think that as long as you weren't trying to get anything from them, but just have, out of compassion for, for them. Oh. Sure. You know. That's a wonderful giving. Yeah. Giving to enemies. Yeah. Uh, in fact, one of the ways of uh, making an enemy a friend yeah. is giving. When you give a gift to someone whom you don't like very much, the person will be softened. Will be softened. Uh, will not be that frigid towards you. Uh, open that person's heart. And then you can communicate. That is the way of, uh, you know, opening a channel to communicate between him and you. Uh, dana. 
So therefore, giving to an enemy is very strongly recommended. Uh, it sounds as though that practice. would almost be higher than giving to the sangha, which is your everybody agrees with you and you're all in the same club, so to speak. No, not necessarily. Giving to sangha does not mean that you you belong to the sangha or you approve you uh, 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 you they are your friends. They may not be. I mean, you may not know anyone any of them. They are just total strangers. The whole. But if you're a Buddhist and they're they're a Buddhist sangha, Arya sangha, for example, mm -hmm. um, they're sort of your your boys. Whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is a certain bit uh, <laughs> easier to give to those people than to, to an enemy. You see, so that uh, my thought is that maybe giving to the enemy is the highest thing. The people who, uh, you know, are fire worshippers or uh, just something completely off the scale. You know, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. Uh, we uh, don't want to reinforce enemies. Yeah, you can make more enemies by giving then, because somebody somebody knows that when he's uh, angry with you or he's, he's your enemy, then you will give him something. So somebody <laughs> else also becomes enemy. <laughs> 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 you don't want to reinforce that. <laughs> we want to uh, uh, promote, support uh, the wholesome things. When somebody practices something very noble, that is the reward. <laughs> we give something in, in appreciation of what that person does. Uh, we don't want to promote somebody's hatred. <laughs> I thought a sangha was simply any more than three. So a sangha could be any, any group of more than three. Any group of more than three, sure. But, you know, but all of this business about giving and, and you talk about that giving being a kind of common denominator among um, all religions. I find it very perplexing that, that um, it seems to me that the hot spots in the world are religious wars. I mean, between the Protestants and the Irish and between the Jews and the Palestinians. And, you know, I mean, I'm just, I don't understand how, I don't understand their behavior. I don't understand it. You know, uh, Deborah, human beings have a lot of weaknesses. That uh, their weaknesses uh, don't necessarily should reflect the religions. Religious principles are above all these human weaknesses. When we talk about generosity, that eliminates all human weaknesses. Uh, wars are made by human beings, uh, misguided, misunderstood, mis uh, who have misinterpreted religious principles. And therefore we really are sorry for them, but we don't want to take it as a standard of, re of religion. That's not a religious standard. Any, any time, any situation, any country, over noble principles people can uh, fight, which is undermining, uh, defeating the very same principle they stand for. There's uh, some confusion in my mind. I'm not sure what's causing it. It's around the fact that it seems that we're, we're suggesting that it might be better to give when it's harder to give, and therefore it's 
more uh, skillful to for the object to be the enemy because it's harder to we're we're conditioned to not want to give toward that object. But it seems that um, I know that the Buddha has said that it that there is it is a higher form of giving to give to a Buddha than to a, a person of a lower caliber or a, a, to a person who's more virtuous compared to a person who's less virtuous. And and I guess that my mind reasons that that's because actually in in choosing a, a, a recipient, an object of higher virtue, it's to say I promote the higher qualities and, and I align myself with another being who has these high qualities and in so in that way I raise my own qualities. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that why yeah. It's, yeah. That's right. It isn't to say that it's necessarily harder or easier, it's just that it, it's lo logically making a connection with higher virtue. Yeah. You try to emulate follow their example by uh, promoting what they do. At the same time as we uh, pointed out, giving something to uh, an enemy is uh, to make him understand uh, how uh, beautiful it is for him not to be inimical. Uh, to recognize your soft spot in your heart. Mm -hmm. You are not, then he will change his mind. He will not think that you are that uh, bad person. Mm -hmm. uh, he will recognize that you have a very uh, soft, generous, kind heart. Out of that you made the approach to make up for whatever differences. It doesn't mean you necessarily want to promote his, no, his no, aims, especially no, no. if it's... Uh, no, that man over there in Iraq. <laughs> that is, uh, in fact, uh, 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 a positive uh, reinforcement of noble qualities. That is, uh, when you negate his uh, resentment by not accepting it, you want to make him understand that there is something very noble in himself, so that you can change it. If something is rigid, uptight, that nobody can change, nobody will take action. The fact that you take action uh, imp uh, implies that uh, you uh, know that you can change it. The fact that he can change to uh, your behavior of giving uh, implies that he, has, he himself has something very noble in himself. So you recognize him. In recognition of his noble quality, you do something. Therefore, that is a, a sort of a breaking ice starting point of a new chapter of his life. Well, I guess I would say we have no enemies. You know, that is very good uh, way of looking at it, wonderful way of looking at it. We don't have enemies. People struggling along as best they can, and we, I think we're all really the same. Yes. On the other hand, in conventional sense, there are people, uh, because of their own uh, states of mind, do things 
to make others' lives uncomfortable. And that gets in their own way of spiritual um, practice. And in fact they are their own enemies, not our enemies. But however, since uh, their behavior, their attitude, their actions affects our own practice. For instance, uh, uh, you are peacefully meditating. Uh, you have no any uh, animosity towards any being, but somebody becomes jealous of your good practice and uh, creates all kind of uh, obstacles in your way that really can break your practice and make you very disappointed. And that way, that particular person uh, needs more sympathy, more uh, kindness from us uh, for him to change his way of behavior, uh, jealousy and so forth. So that situation conventionally we call uh, enemy. Anything uh, uh, opposed to the right way of doing is uh, its uh, opposite. For better term, uh, for want of better term, we use that uh, perhaps uh, uh, instead of using many many words to explain that situation, we use one term called enemy. But really speaking, uh, uh, one who practices uh, loving kindness, metta, dhamma, and so forth doesn't have enemies. There can be <coughs> beings who disagree, uh, do thing, doing things to disturb you, break your practice. Uh, as I said, if you don't have any other question, we can just, just uh, start uh, the next topic and in the afternoon we can continue it. Hmm? Next topic, <coughs> since this uh, you know, wheel is on the board, it is easy for me to point out where the next topic uh, starts. Next topic starts from number three. Number three, four, five. Uh, belong to the next topic. That is try, that is uh, a seal. Sealer <coughs> uh, sounds like sealer in English. You know that you seal something off. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, uh, very vaguely, it is very much like that. Seal of uh, roughness, coarseness, uh, hatred, greed, and so forth, temporarily, until you finally wipe it out. It has uh, uh, three uh, levels. 
mental, verbal and physical. All sila, sila means uh, morality, uh, begins with the mind, the training of mind. Uh, untrained mind, uncultured um, mind uh, will manifest uh, uh, less sila. <coughs> Therefore, the beginning is the mind, disciplining the mind is called Mano uh, Sangvara. Uh, then, Sangvara means uh, uh, disciplining, restraining. Uh, therefore, Sila has uh, uh, two aspects. One is uh, called uh, Charitta, the other is called Varitta. Charitta means the practice, Varitta means the abstaining. We abstain from certain things and practice certain other things. So we start uh, reconditioning our mind to abstain from certain things. The first we do is abstaining from physical things because that is the more gross manifestation of our uh, thoughts, the, the gross uh, way of interpreting what we think at the physical. So therefore we start training the physical aspect, disciplining the body. Then comes the speech. Even if the physical part is uh, controlled, restrained, the speech still can continue. One may not beat up somebody physically, but verbally <laughs> abuse somebody. Eh? Uh, physically one may abstain from stealing, verbally one can uh, practice stealing. Uh, what one, what somebody said, uh, one can uh, use as if his or her own, uh, without without acknowledging. That is called verbal stealing. Then uh, uh, therefore, uh, next step is the verbal training, verbal discipline. And then come back to the mental training again and uh, discipline the mind. So start with the mind and return to the mind. <coughs> to start with the, uh, the discipline, uh, there are precepts rules. Most of the time these rules are formulated in negative terms. For instance, um, in Buddhist tradition, 
it may be true in other tradition also but uh, since our discussion primarily uh, is focusing on uh, buddhist tradition uh, let us spin, spend some times on uh, the buddhist precepts principles buddhist principles or uh, precepts are not uh, uh, commandments they are principles one would accept voluntarily uh, for oneself to abstain from certain things when we present these principles in the in the negative terms like abstaining i will not do such and such i will abstain from such and such uh, for instance um, there are five precepts for any average uh, buddhist to observe they are good for anybody not only for buddhists number one needs to abstain from killing that falls into this category right action <coughs> as i mentioned earlier all these things that we discussed must have some relevance direct or indirect to the noble eightfold path outside this uh, we don't think anything uh, in the buddha's teaching everything must fit this so the right action uh, has all kind of rules and regulations but in this uh, will only five uh, in this particular part only three are mentioned that is to abstain from killing stealing and sexual misconduct in the five precepts i was telling you five precepts first precept is to abstain from killing second precept is to abstain from stealing third precept is to abstain from abstaining from sexual misconduct fourth precept is to abstain from lying fifth precept is to abstain from taking intoxicating drinks and drugs that causes infatuation and heedlessness this is the five precepts out of these five uh two precepts are conditional three are unconditional two conditional precepts are number 3 and number 5 number 3 is abstaining from sexual misconduct number 5 is abstaining from taking intoxicating drinks and drugs that causes infatuation and heedlessness now misconduct is the condition right conduct is acceptable sexual right conduct is acceptable the people it is the misconduct that one uh, accepts as a principle to abstain from then the fifth precept is taking intoxicating drinks and drugs that causes infatuation and heedlessness if drinks and drugs does not cause infatuation and heedlessness that is acceptable for instance if somebody uh takes drugs like 
aspirin, you know, Tylenol and things like that, they all are drugs. Uh, as a medicine, uh, not to cause uh, drowsiness, laziness and, uh, you know, distort the mind, that is acceptable. Even uh, perhaps um, alcohol uh, taken very small uh, quantity as a medicine, uh, not up to the degree of making the person lazy, drowsy and drunk, is acceptable. But uh, once we, we talk very strictly against it, Fear, uh, knowing people's weaknesses, once they start a uh, small dose, uh, they don't know where to stop and they can uh, get carried away and uh, finally break the uh, principle. But someone who is very uh, mindful, careful and uh, use it as a medicine, only for medicinal purpose, <coughs> under certain circumstances, that is not uh, considered to be uh, breaking the precept. So, these five precepts are given in a negative form for, as principles. Sometimes people wonder why the precepts are given in negative form. There are several reasons. N n with regard to uh, positive things, wholesome, noble things, there are no rules. We don't need rules to do something good. For instance, uh, to practice generosity, there is not a rule. If you like, you practice it. To be patient, there is no rule. Uh, to be compassionate, there is no rule. So for, for any noble, wonderful thing that somebody can do, they don't need any particular restrictions, rules, regulations to control or govern them and to give them guidelines. When you do good things, you must do good things this, 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 this way. You do it out of your goodness, out of your feeling of good heart. But for the unwholesome things, there has to be rules. Uh, killing uh, arises uh, in the mind, and uh, if there is a, a rule against it, the person will uh, think twice to restrain from it. If somebody does not kill at all, he doesn't need that precept. If, if the thought of killing does not arise in somebody's mind at all, he doesn't need that, pre that precept. The thought of not killing does not arise, a thought of killing does not arise, only in those who have 
uprooted their hatred. Since, yeah. I can't interrupt, but something came to mind. Um, as a mother, if someone came into my home and was going to do bodily harm to one of my children, and I stopped that person by shooting them, what does, how, what does, what is that considered? I know it's not right to take another person's life. It is, but is it ever justified that in protecting, say, a child, an innocent child, and that was the means I had to take? It wouldn't be a good thing that I did, but it would be, would it be unforgivable? Would it be absolutely not acceptable? I was going to come to that. Uh, I'm glad you asked the question. It's so that you can interrupt me anytime when I talk. And uh, if I remember to come back to the topic, I will. Otherwise, <laughs> I go on uh, discussing. Mm. That is by law, criminal laws. Uh, in uh, many countries uh, seems to have acceptable in for self-defense or defending one's uh, uh, near one's uh, dear one's and so forth <coughs> is uh, uh, socially uh, by uh, criminal laws uh, seem to be acceptable. But when I say, but you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> In principle, religious principles, as I mentioned earlier, the first thing we have to guard against is the intention, thought. If there is anything that you can do to prevent him from harming your infant, baby, uh, without killing, that would be wonderful. If the killing happens in your attempt to prevent the person doing harmful thing, and your intention was not to kill, but just to protect, uh, perhaps wounding the person, Wounding itself is not something acceptable, something we, we, we promote, we support. Uh, that is uh, also against the principle of harming or non-harming. Uh, but intentional killing uh, is, uh, is a killing. Even for self-defense, <coughs> if someone assuming, thinking that so-and-so is coming to kill me, therefore I must kill that being, that person, before that person kills me, uh, is not excusable, even for self-defense. Even that is a killing. So a killing uh, in this precept, as I mentioned earlier, is unconditional precept, no condition for killing. I mean, it's not prescribed uh, under such and such a circumstances you can kill. 
but not some other circumstances, not like that. Uh, as probably you all know, even Buddhists kill. Buddhists who are supposed to supposed not to kill, still they kill. They can kill like anybody else because they have greed, hatred and delusion. They can kill. But they can never justify their killing quoting the Buddha, saying has Buddha has permitted us to kill under such and such circumstances. There is no such prescription, recommendation. Uh, so we say it is uh, not permissible. I guess I've pondered the same question uh, many times, and like my mother told me, if a lion was rushing toward us, she would throw herself to the lion and, and in that way hope to save me. And so I think if you're protecting a child, one way is to offer yourself um, your life, maybe for the child. Um, <coughs> maybe they're going to kill the child too. But uh, you would protect the child by shielding the child, not necessarily striking, striking out at your enemy. Yeah, that's a very <coughs> wonderful way of looking at it. Uh, do what uh, we can do without uh, trying to kill somebody intentionally. If the person uh, suppose uh, uh, somebody comes without your knowledge and. Uh, does something harmful, uh, you are helpless. Uh, say sometimes people say, if somebody comes to kill me, uh, I should kill the person, uh, but we don't know for sure that the person is coming to kill us. He may change his mind last moment. We don't know. And therefore, uh, it is very difficult uh, uh, decision to make from Buddhist standpoint, uh, following this particular uh, precept. Uh, no conditions. For um, so going back to my starting point, the, the point where I left off, uh, I must say uh, in this precept, every precept has uh, uh, conditions. Uh, I mean some, um, certain conditions to complete the, the, the breaking of the precept. If something happens accidentally, one may not be responsible for that happening. For instance, if uh, you try to defend yourself and uh, accidentally you hit someone uh, in very vital organ in the body, the person dies. Your intention was not to kill but uh, to defend yourself and unfortunately the person died. So you are not responsible for killing. Uh, we can stop from this point, I mean we st start from this point uh, this afternoon since our time is uh, running out.
for the morning and uh, I hope you all, 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 all will come and think about these things more carefully and come up with many questions. I'm sure you can come up with a host of questions <laughs> <laughs> related to all these things and we will have perhaps a good discussion. But the topic is not over, this is just the opening and we can start in the afternoon. <coughs> After lunch. What time do you know? What time? 1.30. 1.30. So we are going to have lunch uh, right away. Let's start at 1.30. There's some people here that, uh, that weren't here for meal yesterday. So let me just go over very quickly the, 